Shirley Chisholm said, if there's no seat at the table, bring a folding chair. So I've built quite the collection of folding chairs. Welcome to Evanston Rules. I'm Larice Bell. In this, our introduction episode, we are talking about why we started Evanston Rules and what we hope to discover as we share our conversations with community members. Today, I'm here with my co-inspirers, Ron Whitmore and Michael Duvall. I'm Ron Whitmore. I'm an Evanstonian, born and raised here, attended Dewey School, attended Nichols, and graduated Evanston Township in 1980. I'm an educator. I'm an early childhood preschool, kindergarten teacher. I'm a retired principal in Chicago Public Schools on the near west side. I'm a firm believer in what Joe Madison speaks to on Sirius XM every morning is I'm a person that will never be undervalued, underestimated, and I will always speak my mind. And I love my community. I love all that it brings. I love all that it has. And I love most importantly, its potential. And can't wait to continue to have dialogues with individuals that have a perception of Evanston and can speak to what Evanston has done for them. Michael Duvall, I am an Evansonian, grew up in Central School, went to Nichols School, and then the high school, graduated in 1979. I grew up on the South Side. So for those of you who know Central School, which is now Park School, I'm a husband, uh, I'm a father, but most importantly, I'm a bridge builder and a community person. And this notion of Evanston rules is uh, at my core and the kind of things that I want to do in community going forward. There are thousands of you who I've known since you were younger, because I worked at the YMCA for 36 years. And so my hope is, too, that you will not only listen to what we have to say and others have to say on this podcast, but to pay it forward so that others can hear the stories of Evanston. Can I add that I'm a father and a grandfather? And I'm the mother of two children. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in Evanston, Illinois. Dewey School, Nichols, ETHS. And though I haven't lived there for many years, a lot of my heart remains in our little city. There are people that we grew up with, people that we stand on the shoulders of, people who didn't make it, as well as those who have made it and are thriving. They all have rich stories and experiences, and I knew that I wanted to hear from the different voices that collectively make Evanston the town that I love, but a place that also has difficulties and divisions, some of which Michael, Ron, and I have personally experienced. Ronnie, we met and were in the same first grade class at Dewey School. Did you share that same experience? What was it like for you? You you know, I was one of the first groups from my neighborhood to go to Dewey. And uh, we had just moved into an all-Polish neighborhood in Evanston. Um, And it was interesting um, coming from, you know, Black Evanston to White Evanston and trying to figure out how you fit in and then going to Dewey there was a melting pot of people that lived in close proximity. So, you know, having an opportunity to go and just be who you are and meet people. And some of those people that I've met, like you and myself, Larice, have been friends for well over 50 years. I think it speaks to the crux of what Evanston can do and has done um, for many of us. I think that when we begin to kind of look at the whole notion of Evanston rules, as Michael mentioned, some people you know, don't make it. And I think this podcast is going to create that equal playing field for the voices and the opinions of those that have been heard 
and those that have not been heard. And I think that's really, for me, the beauty of what Evanston has always done for me. Whether I've stayed in Evanston or whether, you know, I've gone abroad for a while. Though you stayed relatively close to Evanston, I moved to California in the late 80s. Michael, when did you leave Evanston? Uh, We left Evanston just uh, at the tail end of 99. So we've been here 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I run into Evanston people all the time, even in Charlotte, North Carolina. You were in L.A., Mike moved to Charlotte, uh, I began to work in Chicago. Um, but the interesting piece is, like, you never really leave. It's always there. I mean, I, you know, Michael and I came back from college, you know, members of the same fraternity and had no idea that we were pledging the fraternity. Um, well, Reese, you, you've come back and kind of got back into our lives, and it's like you never left. So those true friendships in Evanston are really deep-rooted and consistent um, over periods of time, and I think that makes it special. Evanston has been a part of shaping who we are, but there have been different rules for us that often are determined by our race and our earning power. Ironically, as I followed many of my childhood friends on social media, I noticed the different worlds that at one point had come together when we were younger and that now no longer did. As I started to spend more time in Evanston, I came back in contact with you, Ronnie, and then you, Michael, And as we had deep conversations, we all kind of felt the same way, that there were experiences that we'd had that we wanted to discuss. Well, the stories don't leave us, right? The stories, whether you're a new resident or you're an old resident, the stories are pretty much the same. And it transcends, I think, the voices and really the reason for keeping this on track and getting this moving is to make sure that those stories stay alive. You have to be able to honor that present or that past out of the past, stay in the present, right? But then move to the future. And you, we can't do that without stories. It's the stories that bind us, right? It's the fabric, it's the thread, it's the rope that keeps us all connected. Yes, it is the stories, certainly for me. So of course, we all within our family and with our friends have stories that we know. One of the interesting things about Evanston is obviously it's considered a progressive town where there's integration and you find friendships of all colors, shapes, and sizes. Jane Elliott, who is a well-known teacher and anti-racism activist, said of integration, I think it should be a stir-fry. You want each element to maintain its individuality. So though we often term it a melting pot, does anybody really want to be in a melting pot? Should we want to be in a melting pot? <laughs> it depends on if you're at the top of the melting pot or the bottom yeah. of the pot. Well, I always like to tell the story. I tell people there's a lot of things that I learned. So I I grew up uh, in the what was the Black Y, the Emerson Street YMCA back then. Uh, I remember almost like it was yesterday when they closed down the Emerson Street YMCA and blacks essentially had to go what, what we would call the white Y. And uh, explain that, please. And what year that was. Yeah. So that was uh, it was probably 1968, 69. Uh, what was happening uh, all over the country is black wise were started up. Obviously, we were in an era of um, separation during civil rights. Uh, the In the late 60s, people were starting to bust down the barriers of separate facilities uh, to kind of come together. And they shut down what was then called the Emerson Street Y, which essentially was the, the black community's community center. And we had to integrate into the white Y. And I just remember it, it also taught me a lot about how to embrace 
uh, people who didn't look like me and rep, not from my neighborhood. You know, fast forward. Uh, I always like to tell this story about um, my wife's parents, who when we were uh, in the midst of getting married, uh, essentially they didn't want us to get married because I was a black man. In theory, you know, didn't necessarily honor the same religion. She was a white woman uh, who was Jewish. And I remember them asking me about whether we were going to be okay if, uh, and what about us? And then what about the kids? Right. And I said, sir, I don't know how you can move to a town like this and not believe that your daughter can't marry somebody who doesn't look like you. <laughs> because I think essentially it's what you embrace by coming and living and allowing your kids to go to schools and what you embrace when you've gone through, uh, particularly the 60s and 70s of Everson High School. So I think that juxtaposition, uh, and then later on in life, you know, we love is what transcends and transforms. That is a story of Evanston, how we move in to embrace it, but we too have to deal with some of the ugly truth. And I hope the stories that we're telling won't just be the joy of Evanston, right, but also right. the pain of Evanston. And really the pain of the world and communities, right? Yeah. I think, in, in, in the beauty of your situation was you were able to have that conversation. And that conversation is really what transcends Evanston. But there's also a reality where people aren't comfortable having those conversations and too often skate past having those very important conversations. And, and my, my hope as well is to make sure that, that we're hearing the stories and the voices from all those in order to make Evanston rules and kind of create that duality of access, opportunity, and reality. Hey, Laurice, when I always have to introduce you, people don't remember, they don't connect you to this, right? But your father's store right. was an anchor spot for really culture. Uh, and I think people don't remember Laurie's, well, they remember Laurie's record store, the vinyl, I mean, vinyl is, is coming back. But I think too, your father, that store was an icon. You know, when you would get up off uh, for somebody who lived on the south side of town, and had to pop down on the train. I get off at of Davis Street. You know, and that's where we, that was a meeting place. Talk to us a little bit about how your father thought about his record store. So I can't fully speak to what my father thought. I know that he was proud to have his business and he certainly spent a lot of time at work. People in those days really committed to their businesses, especially when they were small family run. But what I can tell you is that for me, it was a wonderful, wonderful bit of my childhood because I was able to access all the bits and pieces of myself and my history through music, which was very important to me. Um, my father was Jewish and my mother was black and my father's store, Lori's carried soul, funk, rock, opera, folk, spoken word, orchestral, country, foreign language, odd, rare recordings. And as we always like to say, basically, if it was on vinyl, Lori's had it. And that fullness defined my childhood, defined what and who I was exposed to. My father's shop, as you were saying, was a meeting place and it was open and it welcomed everybody. And people knew that. So they showed up. We moved to Evanston to be closer to the store after my mom died in 1968, which was just before I started first grade at Dewey. And my life changed a great deal, um, not only because of the tragedy of the loss of my mother, who was really everything to me. You know, I was a five-year-old girl. But 
it was also because I was moved from everything that I knew and I came to a new town where I was identified through the lens of others by my white father, not my black mother, which added a real twist to my loss because in 1968, mixed race wasn't as common, it wasn't as accepted, and it was a particularly tumultuous time, not, not just for me, but for our country. Love transforms, though, right? That's, uh, it's the power of community, that record store. That, to me, begs the question of, like, obviously, Michael, you speak to saying that belonging is truth and the currency of social capital. Well, I think in a, in a, in a really pure, quick sense, belonging is co-created with a shared experience by the person who actually feels the sense of belonging, right? But they're sharing with some vulnerabilities. And it is that co-created experience that gets us to a place where we get liberated through one another. And I would say, I think that's essentially what Evanston means to me at its core is I, um, I've co-created myself alongside lots of folks uh, in that town of all hues and all genders uh, and all primary dimensions. And much of what I've learned over town is this sense uh, that we're all connected, but we all believe in the same sense of purpose and what the Evanston is a place and belonging is a place that's in your heart, right? It's not necessarily a place. Uh, it's inside you. And what people need to remember is uh, that's really kind of where we need to get to anyway, right? It's we got to get to a sense of belonging and a, a sense of transformation. And so the, the phrase is belonging is the currency of social capital. Mm-hmm. That you really can't, you can't belong to somebody until you give away your social currency, right? That's what connects us and binds us all. Agreed. That is, that is what connects and binds us all. Ronnie, you and I have spoken about this, you know, how people try to drop the needle in the middle of the story. And though we came up at a really pivotal time with our first grade year uh, having Vietnam and full swing protests against segregation that turned violent uh, when the police opened fire on students, we had Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, There were race riots. The Fair Housing Act was signed into a law. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. The Chicago Democratic National Convention had protesters getting beaten and gassed. And I think all of this really set the stage for how we grew up and how Evanston was perceived as this kind of safe haven with people marching for civil rights, Martin Luther King coming into town and Chief Logan taking him around. And that was the good stuff with the marching for civil rights. But, you know, there's this other side and it wasn't full of kumbaya. There are stories that came before us and we really, I know I really want to hear those stories. I think it's important. And, you know, you, Michael, and I agree that it's important to tell the stories of our elders and of the people that came before us and their experiences in Evanston. So in doing that, how do we talk honestly about race and mixed company? How do we do that? Well, I think when we go back back to the the word belonging, I think part of that, that, that we need to focus on too, is how people really feel about who they are. Right. Cause I bring myself with me wherever I go, whatever I do. Um, and I have to feel comfortable in my skin. That means I have to be comfortable with my story and my experience and how it fits into this melting pot 
of, of what we say Evanston is or what we would like Evanston to be. That belonging comes from, I think, one, our ability to listen, our ability to expose and involve, but most importantly, our ability to ask and be comfortable asking, right? Because I think the beauty in that is to ask those very difficult questions. You know, when we talk about race in Evanston in America, it's, it's something that, that, that makes people uncomfortable. And, and I think we need to just be very comfortable having that open and honest dialogue. But that has to be from a historical perspective from all those that might have been involved, whether it was from the group that lived in the Black Triangle or the group that lived on the lake or East Evanston or South Evanston. And I think the beauty of what we bring to it, our experience in Evanston has been able to transcend all those communities and still speak to our lifelong friends that we've had since elementary school, since middle school, and since high school. Now, that doesn't mean all those relationships <laughs> have been positive, right? There have been those that have gone away to college and came back a different person than I, than I thought I knew them to be. But I'm sure there are those that would say that about me as well. But again, I think the beauty of what, we, what we're doing in terms of knowing the histories and being able to ask folk their perspective is going to really create a sense of belonging for those that have might not have that opportunity. This is uh, honesty and authenticity is something you have to be ready to give and then to receive. Yep. And our challenge sometimes is we're ready to give it. We're not ready to receive it. Yep. Uh, so when you ask the honest question, right, you have to stay with people long enough to tell their story and not judge the story exactly. and, and feel the pain or feel the joy, whatever that is, and get people to a place. And Evanston is in its core, a place that makes that so possible. Yeah. But we have to continue to re-equip people uh, how it transformed into what it is. This whole notion of Evanston rules is the ability to equip yourself, right? Self-love is the best love because you cannot love anybody else until you love yourself first. So we got to get people to a place where they're ready to embrace the honesty of Evanston because it's not great for everybody. Right. And the reason we have, Ron and I have had all these conversations over the years is because we realized that some of our brothers who we hung out with, uh, who went to nickel school, didn't make it. Uh, and the question for us is when we line up 10 people, why didn't those five people make it? And what can we do going forward to make sure that all people have a chance to make it? That's Everson rules. Yeah. Right. Yes, yes. And that, that's the white, black, that's all the hues. We had tons of people who were white who didn't make it. So we talked about equity. We talked about inclusion. These are a couple of the words that we keep coming back to as we put together our ideas for the podcast and what's important to us. And we've come up with a number of other words, right? Equity, inclusion, acceptance, and love, and how the meanings can differ for people. We grew up in Evanston. We've all gone away from Evanston. We've all come back. We've all had positive experiences and negative experiences. For me, the goal is to celebrate and investigate and to have conversations with other voices, other people from our past, people we haven't even necessarily met yet, but looking to start the book at the beginning to gain a greater understanding of where we come from, to catch up with old friends, to meet some new people. You know, how do we not only talk about it, but listen with open ears and an open heart and then keep the dialogue going? That's my goal, you know, because if we can imagine that we can rest on our laurels 
of being this progressive, integrated town with good schools and marching people, but yet not continue to speak up about all the difficulties, then then we become part of the problem. And how do we bring about the action of understanding the people and their experiences? Diversity is... Uh in the, in the broad sense, right? What we look like on the outside. It's, you know, however you see somebody on the outside, that's diversity. Evanston is very diverse. Uh, the question is, is I always say to Evanston, is it inclusive? Is it really about equity? It's about belonging. So here's the deal. When they switched those schools, right? We used to have separate schools and then we had neighborhood schools. Did everybody really have the same school? So inclusion is really hearing the voice, right? Belonging is actually using the voice, and equity is sharing the power. And until we get to a place where inclusion, belonging, and equity matters, as there, uh, Ron has a famous phrase, there's no equity without action, right? So you have to do something in the equity. You have to do what you say you believe, right? When you say you're here because you want the diversity, then when you look at your actions, does that mean at your barbecues, at your bridge party, at your dinner parties, you have people that are diverse there? Do your kids have uncles that they can call that are black that they can call uncle? So how do you create that action that goes along with that equity to make sure that everyone is at the table, everyone is heard, everyone feels part of a community, part of a conversation? Yeah, the beauty is you have one high school, so that's the beauty. There are four parts. When we grew up, there are four different schools in one school, but theory of one, one high school. Whereas you don't have, you have many elementary schools, many middle schools, right? And we had to find a way, if you live on the south side of town, you had to find a way to get to know the people on the north side. Those are the things that, that's a little tiny eight square mile town that in the provincial sense, right? I lived in South Evanston where it was mosaic, but a lot of people thought only black people lived in the south side of town. But then I would get, you know, we'd get to a north side party and I I remember this (laughs) like it was yesterday. You were the life of the party, Mike. No, 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 no. When we we just had our 40th high school reunion and my son, my youngest son went with me. And uh, I'm not going to mention the name because he may not want his name. (laughs) One of my high school teammates came up very demonstrative to tell my son uh, that I did for him, which I didn't know I did this for, is he said I taught him how to like white people. We used to go to parties and he would just want to beat up on white people. And I I don't know that I taught him how to like white people. What I taught him is, brother, we're going to go to this party. You're not going to swing fists. You're not going to get upset with people. We're going to learn to learn how to have a conversation with some people who live on the other side of town. That, to me, is the essence of what Evanston is, is he trusted me enough to come with me and then trusted me enough not to get in there swinging, but to try to learn. And I don't know if I taught him how to love white people. I taught him how to not address all of his combustion right away. That could sound incendiary, right? It could. It's the reality of how we grew up, you know, where many of us and those our age were discovering for the first time otherness. But one of the things that seemed politically correct at the time was being colorblind. And I'm using air quotes when I say colorblind. You know, I heard so many people say, I don't see color. And I was always confused by that because I always saw color. And I knew even then that people always saw my color and that of my friends. And I need to say that nine times out of 10, it was not somebody who was black who said they didn't see color. I knew it because 
I can remember experiences I had, like when I walked into a store with my father who was white and I was treated one way when I was with him. But then when I walked into a store on my own or with my black family, the treatment was very different and certainly not equal nor respectful. But what we've got to unpack through Evanston Rules, right, is whatever that person's name is that you were talking about, right? There was something about the relationship that you were able to build. And there was something about the conversations that you were able to have. You did mention trust, right? So, so the equity and the action that you gave that particular person was you understood his story, you understood his plight, but you also said, here's another way, right? So it's with that humility in equity and belonging and action and love that for some reason made you have a conversation with this particular person, right? And the people in Evanston historically that are comfortable transcending before opinion, before exile, and with inclusion and, 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 and making sure that opinion creates inclusion are those people that have that are able to have those conversations and dialogue, right? And in order to do that, you've got to take time. You've got to care. You've got to be able to listen. And then you've got to hold a hand. And not saying hold a hand in a negative, but be there to lean on me because I'm going to take you to a place where you may have some anxiety and your anxiety is real. I've seen it. I understand it. But we're going to go anyway and we're going to talk. We aren't going to fight. I think there's a beauty in that conversation, which definitely correlates to equity and action, belonging and love. And that's the Evanston that I think the three of us have known. That's the Evanston that has always made us come back to, whether we've gone or not. And it's the Evanston that we call home for that very reason. And still the story is the same. People trying to understand each other. Exactly. Trying to work through issues. People starting out seemingly on an even playing field, but that not being the case. And I think that, you know, we talk about melting pot and at the end of the day, really, who really wants a melting pot? Because can't we celebrate our differences? If the melting pot is good, everybody wants some of that gumbo. Well, (laughs) we can have the gumbo, but still understand that we can come from different places, introduce ourselves to it, combine our spices. The chicken is as important as as the shrimp. The okra is as important as the corn. The roux is what brings it together, which is Evanston. No, you're absolutely right. But at its essence, I think we shouldn't lose it. At its essence, when we are at our best in Evanston, people don't lose themselves, right? You can hold on to yourself and acculturate that, not assimilate it, where sometimes you give up pieces of yourself. I think the beauty and the fabric is Evanston has its builders, it has its visionaries, it has disruptors, it has healers, it has responders, it has artists, in the middle of that circle, everybody is aspirationally looking to find ways to connect to each other. And we've had, we've had agitators. We're going to interview some of those um, who were agitating. But I always felt like even beyond that, we would all come together. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, Evanston sits in America, right? And, and America's oftentimes has its issues around race and equity. Laurie, you know, being in LA for as long as you have and coming back and forth, right? What have you experienced seeing how Evanston fits into this kind of global perspective or this world perspective while still loving Evanston the way we do? Evanston still 
oftentimes falls victim to the realities of what's going on in the world, right? When we talk, mentioned, Michael, you mentioned a little bit about the schools and did everybody have a neighborhood school or how busing related or what happens to specific businesses and communities in Evanston. What did you notice when you first kind of got back that made you still love or question Evanston in a different way? Well, you know, we don't always love things because they're perfect. We love things because they're ours, because that's what we know. So what I loved about Evanston was never that it was perfect. I, too, have certain issues with Evanston. I've seen, you know, how we grew up. Everybody was a buddy, hand in hand, black and white. We had a whole lot of kumbaya that we recognized wasn't necessarily so as we got older, even in middle school, even in high school. Evanston is known around the world. You know, we've got Northwestern, we've got progressive politics. We sit in a very special spot just outside of north of Chicago and just south of very, very wealthy communities that are not integrated. Yet Evanston still faces a lot of the same issues. Evanston still has people who don't really want to combine everything. So my love for Evanston is really not about it being perfect, but there is something that always draws me back. Well, that's what we like, right? You, well, I always tell people you have to embrace the rage and raise the consciousness. So there are some clear inequities still in Evanston, but I think we strive for perfection right? in the imperfect. And, and I, I always think the healthy tension is so important in any community, in any family, in any neighborhood. And I hope if, if this podcast does nothing else, it inspires people to embrace that healthy tension and to find ways to have conversations with each other uh, without killing each other. Right. Right. Ronnie, what do you want from the podcast? My hope is that we embrace the different perspectives, that we give voice to the voiceless, that we give a speech to the people that have not been heard, and for the people that have been at the table or controlling the table, that the beauty in hearing, the beauty in belonging, the beauty in listening helps them, helps all of us think differently about who we are and what we can bring to this community, especially in these trying times that we're dealing with, right? How do we, you know, get back to what we all believe Evanston is and can be in our heart? And I think through this dialogue and through the conversation, that's what I really hope, that people continue to embrace the Evanston that we know it to be. What about you, Larise? I've always embraced Evanston and absolutely want to continue to do that. That really is what this is for me. It's a love letter of sorts, but things in our country have hit such a place of difficulties. There's a malaise, there's a sadness, you know, it's people are away from home more than ever. And I think it's important to be able to go back home. Yep whether it's your favorite place or not, it's really important. It's important to be able to go back and navigate, to remember, to know where you've come from, if only for your own growth. However open I might be, there are plenty of stories that I haven't heard and some that I knew that I don't remember. And so I need to hear them so I can learn more. I think there are plenty of people all over the country and all over the world that could do well by hearing other stories. Because I think that the stories of being included or some that are about being left out, those are universal. And so what I hope is that we'll be able to 
tell stories that affect some change and not just here? You know, why did some succeed and why did others not succeed? Why do some have bigger pieces of the pie and why don't some get any of the pie? I think the only difference between our podcast and other stories is that these are ours. They're as important as anything else, not just to document, but to really hopefully affect some change and progress. And I think to get to that, we must tell our own stories because there's a saying, you know, what is remembered lives. And I will add to that, what lives can grow. I want to thank everybody for joining us today and coming along on this journey and that you'll follow along with us as we continue to air a new podcast each week. You can find us at evansonrules.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, connect with us. We want to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you.